Our scripture reading this morning is from two Col- or two Colossians. Colossians two, six to twenty-three. The so Colossians two, six to twenty-three. Before we read, let's come to God in prayer. God, we give you thanks for this day, for opportunities to be together as your people. Uh, we thank you for your word again, in which we can read collectively as a group of your people and here proclaim to us what it is that you're speaking to us so bless the reading bless the proclamation bless each one of us as uh, we are listening to you words of grace words of love and how we can live our lives in response to all that you give to us hear our prayer in jesus name amen harm i hear this echo is it okay out there Good to go. I'm going to keep going anyways. Let's uh, read Colossians 2, 6 through 23. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we continue our series on the book of Colossians, last week, for those who weren't here uh, last week, or maybe those who need a reminder, we're reminded that Jesus is in us wherever we are. Christ is in us. 
And this was exciting news for the Gentiles in the early church and exciting news for us Gentiles today. Christ in us. But yet there's trouble. There's trouble in this world. There's trouble in the church. There was trouble then and there's trouble today. And Paul wants to make God's people aware of the challenges that surround us. Because there are deceptive philosophies entering into people's lives. This morning we're going to briefly talk about a couple of isms. And they're highlighted in this passage. And those isms are syncretism, Gnosticism, traditionalism, mysticism, and asceticism. Now don't worry too much, there's not going to be a quiz following this. But this passage is not so much to give us a specific understanding of these things, these isms, but more of a general understanding that there are external influences in our lives. (coughs) I once heard a pastor state that anything ending with ism is something usually not too good. And we need to stay away from these isms in life. One of the younger parishioners then piped up and asked if that applied to catechism. (laughs) So this ism rule is not a hard and fast rule. It does not apply to catechism. But let's look first at syncretism. And just briefly, we're going to look at these things. Syncretism is uh, kind of the umbrella of all the rest of the four words. It's the amalgamation of various religious thoughts, philosophies, and worldviews. Philosophies and religious thoughts are coming together. They're being joined together. In this particular situation, it would be the blending of Christian beliefs with some other belief. Making what one believes look truthful enough to appear good and trustworthy but it's actually deceptive. So it's the mixing of Christianity with something, some other thought which results in a different gospel. In other words, a false gospel. Now Paul refers to various thoughts entering into the Christian church in the first century AD, and these thoughts are also in the 21st century church. And people can be so easily distracted and easily convinced of things that are not truthful or maybe even part truths. Paul says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now Paul didn't specifically name these philosophies, but he briefly described some of the things that were entering into the lives of the believers. Colossians 2, 9-10, through 10, Paul refers to Christ being the fullness of the deity. Jesus is God, fully human, fully divine. And this statement, this statement of truth, is actually opposing Gnosticism. Gnosticism is Greek for knowledge, and involves earning salvation through divine knowledge that frees somebody from the darkness. With Gnosticism, there's still a belief in Jesus, And that he has actually been still given a mission. But Jesus would be regarded as a lesser person than the Creator God. And as a result, not the Savior. Instead, knowledge would be that saving power. Untruth. Colossians 2, 8, verses 11 to 17 refers to uh, traditionalism. 
It's again living by certain rules out of habit rather than out of gratitude. It's living by a set of rules simply because that's the way we've always done things and should do things and it could easily result in being works-based. The traditions become more important than Jesus. A phrase that has been uh, summarized, has summarized this quite well is tradition is the living faith of the dead. Okay, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Traditionalism gives tradition a bad name. Traditions are good. But when we begin to look at these traditions to earn salvation, that's traditionalism. Colossians 2, 18 and 19 refers to worship of angels and idle notions. Paul uses the word idle notions, and he's referring to this form of mysticism. He's referring to earning your way into heaven based on attaining a higher spirituality or entering into a deeper relationship with God. Again, what's happening here is it's putting the responsibility on the individual that salvation can be obtained if you enter into this higher spiritual state. It's a self-righteousness. It's a self-righteous about your spirituality. And in fact, Paul refers to it as unspiritual. Colossians 2, 20-23, Paul refers to things of our senses and restraining from sensual indulgences. And that's asceticism. Asceticism is, again, self-righteous, earning your way to heaven by denying life's pleasures in order to be as spiritual as possible. Now, the point of going through all this is that Paul is warning people that these philosophies can creep into the church, into our lives. Syncretism. The main point here is that we can easily be be deceived by things that look like truth, but they are not the truth. And they turn our eyes and our hearts slowly away from Jesus. Knowledge, traditions, higher spirituality, pleasure. They're all good things given by God to his people. And in fact, a, world, a Reformed worldview will be that we, we can find the triune God, we can see the triune God in all these things that he has blessed us with. But those isms, these isms can also be used by the devil to distract people away from God. They can be seen as a means for obtaining salvation when Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Just one simple example today that I think we have to be aware of is encouraging people to have a good life. It's like, oh yeah, I, I deserve this, or, or I've been good, I've worked hard for this. Scripture is clear that it's not about having a good life, it's about having a transformed life. Earlier we confessed that we have a natural tendency as human beings, a natural tendency to hate God, to hate one another. By nature, we are not good. So we can't do it on our own. I once heard a parent remark that their goal is to ensure that their child grows up good. We need to be careful that we don't blend moralism with Christianity. 
I mean, I believe we want our children to be good. But firstly, as we heard in the children's message this morning, a mother or father are to encourage their children to be followers of Jesus. And then the response is their good living. People, we are called to follow Jesus. This leads to another example that we need to be aware of, and that's just simply ensuring that people are happy. Now, Scripture clearly calls people to be holy. It's good to be happy. We even sing it. When you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, or trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. A Christian should be happy, but not without holy, transformative living. Christ did not die to make people happy. He died to make people holy. So we should not be compromising or conforming to the culture around us, but we should also not be afraid of culture impacting the church in a way that is God-glorifying. So now you can understand that this is not easy stuff. And it's often difficult to figure out. It's difficult to discern. So Paul writes this letter to warn people that there are things in life that can distract us from the gospel of Jesus. Don't be ignorant that there are distract do not be ignorant that there are distractions and deceptions out there. Paul writes that we're not to be bound by these false teachings of this world. And he he encourages us and makes us aware of these false teachings. But he also writes to remind us that we have a tremendous gift. And that is Jesus and His Holy Spirit. And that will impact how we live our lives. As we read earlier in the time of confession, are we so corrupt? Yeah, we are so corrupt unless we are born again of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to verse 6. Paul is writing that you have received Christ. And because you have received Christ, this will impact the way that you live your lives. But the way you live your lives, again, don't, it, it's not going to earn your salvation. So higher knowledge, traditions, higher spirituality, pleasure, they cannot earn your salvation. These are ways we can live out our salvation. But our salvation is freely given to us by God through Jesus Christ. So verse 6 and 7, it continues on. To live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 9, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Verse 13, God made you alive with Christ. He's forgiven all your sins. And then the following verses go on to state that He's removed any of our debts. He has taken all this away and He's nailed them to the cross. Do you see what this passage is emphasizing? Yes, Paul is ensuring that we are aware of the false gospels, but more importantly, Paul emphasizes that God has given us so many blessings. God initiates a relationship with His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. God initiates His workings in our lives. Let me repeat all this again to you. Paul states that you have received Christ by God. You are rooted in Him by God. You are built up in Him by God. You are strengthened in the faith, congregation, 
by God. You have been brought to the fullness by God. You have been made alive with Christ by God. You've been forgiven for all your sins by God. You have all your debts canceled by God. And these debts have been nailed to the cross by God. People of God, you have been given an amazing amount of blessings and grace through your Savior, Jesus Christ, by God. And it's not on account of your own doing. It's all on account of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. In the faith formation classes that we have on Tuesday nights, one session's been finished, and another session's going to be starting this Tuesday on you know, so it's a plug there for anybody. Um, I encourage the students that if they don't leave with anything else, at least leave with this one thing, how God initiates. God initiates. We respond. God initiates. We see that in worship. We see that in baptism. We see that in the Lord's Supper. We see that in our salvation. We see that in all areas of our lives. God initiates his amazing love and his amazing grace, and we respond. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. Now, this passage doesn't specifically refer to Ascension Day, which we celebrated just this past Thursday. But according to verse 15, on account of the cross and the empty grave... He disarmed the powers and authorities. Jesus made a public spectacle of them. We read in verse 10 that Jesus is the head of every power and authority. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He ascended bodily form into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, our Father Almighty. Jesus is the head of the church and he rules all things. He has authority over everything. And at Jesus' ascension, he promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be celebrating that next week with Pentecost Sunday and talk more about that. And God is doing all this for his people, as Paul states, so that we can have the fullness of Christ, verse 10. We can have every blessing through Christ. By God's grace, once and for all, we've received Christ Jesus as Lord. We've received Christ in our hearts. And it's by God's grace we have received Christ. As Christians, we have received a share in the holiness of God. We are in relationship with God that was initiated by God. God has established, He's initiated a relationship with His people. And it's not something that we've asked for. We've received this from God, not on account of our own doing. It's Jesus Christ into our hearts that was already ordained before the foundation of the world. And God has great plans for you and for me long before the foundation of this world. And only God knows what other plans and purposes He has in store for us. And we're to believe this in faith. We're to believe that we have received Christ into our hearts by God's gracious care and love. God, out of His redeeming grace and His love, sent Jesus Christ to live on this earth as a human. We have received Jesus Christ as an example of how to live our lives holy, just as Christ did. But having received this grace, Paul in his letter provides us assistance on how to live holy lives. And Paul says that we're we're called to walk in Christ continually. We're called to live a life that's holy. 
You see, Jesus is already at work within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have a responsibility. We have the ability to respond to what God initiated. We're called to cooperate with the workings of the Holy Spirit. Christ is in us and His Spirit is at work in us. We have been made alive in Christ, verse 13. And we have a choice to conform to the world and to its philosophies, be swayed by the philosophies and false gospels, or be transformed by Christ and His gospel message. The Holy Spirit is continually at work in us through the process of God making us holy. It means to become more and more like Christ. The Holy Spirit breathes into us this new life. And as believers, we're called to cooperate with the working of the Holy Spirit. God initiates, and as His people, we have the opportunity and ability to respond. The best way to understand all this that is in Christ, we have a whole new life. It's a whole different world. Christ is in control of this world and our life, and we're to live our lives for Him. Now in verse 16, Paul goes on to state, Therefore do not let anyone judge you. When we allow judgment to rule us, then grace kind of just gets thrown out the window. And what's happening then, if we allow judgment to rule us, is that we will then try to live up to the judgments of others, rather than by the grace of God. So when we allow people's judgment, we will probably say things like, well, I guess that didn't go well enough, or I'm not good enough, or I need to earn that person's respect or attention. And when we do that, we can easily fall into deceptive philosophies, and we allow works to dictate rather than what God has done and continues to do in us. We tend to find out what pleases people and fulfill that man-made command rather than find out what pleases God. Ephesians 5.10 God initiates and we respond to Him in gratitude and thanksgiving. Jumping back to verse 7, overflowing with thankfulness. So don't let other people's sins define your life. Don't let your sins define your life. Don't let deceptive philosophies define your life. Let Jesus Christ define your life. Let Jesus define who you are and whose you are. We've been chosen by God to be his children and his spirit is at work within us. There is only one true gospel. There is only one good news. There is only one triune God. Receive Jesus Christ today and be alive in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God for all that he has done for us through his Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, there's so many things in life that can distract us, that can turn us away from your gospel and from you. 
But we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for working in us and pointing our hearts and our eyes toward Jesus and all the many blessings that we have from you through him. We thank you for initiating a relationship with us and for calling us to be your children. May we respond to you in thanksgiving and gratitude and strive to live our lives in holiness and as your transformed people. Hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.